Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry. Today, our podcast is going to continue our series of courage in the face of opposition. What the Carmelites can teach us about living counterculturally. This will be number four of four. So uh, we've got a good thing going here. And I think it's very applicable to our lives today. And we need courage in the face of oppositions. We've had a lot of that with this COVID, with uh, political and societal unrest. So there's much that we can learn from the example of our Carmelites. And um, so I've invited um, Colleen Solinger to come back and join us. Colleen, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me back again. Oh, it's great to have a Carmelite conversation with you. I, I like having these. Um, you, you bring so much uh, to the fore for us. And I know that when we started this series, um, it began with exploring the stories of Carmelites who lived during times of challenge for those living the Catholic faith, um, the struggles they faced, um, which were many, <laughs> the ways they remained faithful, and what those of us living in this 21st century can learn from them. And there were three essential points that you started us off with in the first of this series, and they were put God first. The second one was prayer is essential as air that we breathe and water that we drink. And three, live the faith unapologetically. Yes. confidence right with confidence <laughs> all right so um why don't you tell us who we're going to talk about today and then we will start with an opening prayer okay good today we're going to talk about Jacques of jesus and we talked about him in our first conversation on this topic and today we're just going to be able to go into his story with a little more depth okay and he he be was a diocesan priest first, and then he became a Carmelite friar. Yes. And we're hoping soon he becomes a saint, right? We love that. <laughs> yes, yes. So I just kind of want to mention that. All right. Um, this opening prayer I actually chose from um, a book called Divine Intimacy by Father Gabriel St. Mary Magdalene. Oh, I just love this book. It's really oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful to pray with, isn't it? Um, one of those ones where trapped on a desert island, what book do you want? Ask for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Every Carmelite should have this book, yes. Divine <laughs> Intimacy. Yeah. Whether it's the one volume or the four volume, it doesn't matter. Uh, yes. It's all good. <laughs> yes. Very rooted. And um, it has meditations on, on many topics and it kind of goes through the liturgical year. But I love the prayers at the end of each meditation. And, um, most often, uh, Father Gabriel would choose one of our Carmelites to um, use one of their prayers. And, and he did on this occasion that I think is very pertinent to our uh, topic today. This comes from the letters of St. Teresa of Avila. And it's just a snippet. But um, I think as we learn about Parajac, you will see how this prayer fits him perfectly. So let us get recollected and enter within to be with God in the center of our soul. And let us pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My God, the greatest honor you can do a soul is not to give it much, but to ask much of it. 
Therefore, when you make me suffer for the salvation of souls, you are treating me like one of your privileged friends. Was it not by suffering and dying that you redeemed the world? Oh, Jesus, I aspire to the happiness of sacrificing my life for you. But I know that martyrdom of the heart is no less fruitful than the shedding of one's blood. And even now, this martyrdom is mine. How beautiful, O Lord, is the part you have reserved for me, a part worthy of an apostle. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. All right, well, uh, let's get an idea of when Parish Jacques lived um, and uh, start us off on what we're going to learn today. All right, he was uh, alive between 1900 and 1945, and it was April 29th, oh, it's almost the anniversary, 1997 yeah. is when his cause for canonization was opened. Um, he was born, as I said, in 1900 as Lucien Bunel, and he's best known for his heroism in the French resistance, having harbored Jews when he was working as the head of a Carmelite school for boys during the German occupation of France. Uh, the story was the subject of a French film from 1987, Au Bois les Enfants, which translates as Goodbye Children. These were the last words he said to his students as he was being arrested. That movie was my first introduction to the story. And the reason we know his last words are because it's the story that director Louis Maul made of his experience as a student at the school during oh, the wow. war. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> it is. So like so many other virtuous people, it was the actions of an entire life that led up to the heroic steps that he took at the end of his life. Um, merely four months before his arrest, Perjac preached a retreat to a community of Carmelite sisters. Um, you can purchase the book of this retreat, Listen to the Silence. It's published by ICS Publications. It's excellent. Mm -hmm. Here's a part of it. He, he's told them, let us go to work courageously to welcome God within us so that we can know the immense nourishment to be derived from constant deep prayer to understand the happiness of the presence of God and to have a foretaste of heaven here below. His lifelong gift of self arose from his relationship with God and his radical gift of self at the end of his life arose from his relationship with God as well. So condensed, here's his story. He was born into a working class family in Northern France. He was the third of seven children in a devoutly Catholic family. He felt the call to priesthood from an early age, um, and yet it took much sacrifice on the part of his family to be able to send him to junior seminary. During a period of his father's unemployment, he was unable to pay tu tuition. Now, the young Lucien confided his plight to a religious sister she knew. She, in turn, was able to discreetly arrange the finances um, through the generosity of a well-to-do friend of hers. Um, he came from a socially aware family. In fact, at one time, his father lost his job due to becoming a union organizer. However, they, this family, they were Catholics first and foremost. So they found themselves a bit different from their neighbors who had strong socialist or communist leanings. In fact, some of their more militant neighbors found it an act of betrayal when Lucien left home to begin his studies at the seminary as if the family was somehow then in a different class from everyone else. 
So because of these experience, I'll say that Lucian was always very proud of his working class roots, but at the same time, because of his experiences, he was equally equally aware of the generosity that existed among the bourgeoisie. You know, he he had this woman who would help support his his education when his family couldn't, and yet he still, even if he was a bit different from his neighbors that were um, very involved in politics, they, he was still able to get along with them because of their you know, because they were Catholic, they, they you know, they, they were living their Catholic life. So um, yes, he, he, he had a foot in both worlds and he was very comfortable in both of them. And he was able to see the goodness in, in both uh, those who were in the lower class and, the, and in the upper class. And, you know, I think this is a good statement for the upper class, how important it is to reach down and help because you might be helping a, a future saint is going to intercede for you in heaven great deal exactly. that can be very very helpful so. exactly and i love that because you know what it is that is the catholic thing is that we see every person first as a soul made in the image and likeness of god we don't see their class or any you know their their color or you know even if they're a different religion from us male female we see them first as a soul and so that's exactly how he was raised and yeah. this is the result yeah we're all children of god Yes. Um, all humans made in his image and likeness. Very good. Yeah. So during his junior seminary summer breaks, this is the equivalent to high school. Okay. Lucian worked with the youth of his home parish. Now here he was competing with the local established communist youth programs. Um, but now this was kind of the, what his role was the equivalent to what we would see as a youth minister today. Um, he was successful still in rounding up kids for his programs because of his charismatic personality. Um, upon finishing high school, he spent just a few months in the major seminary before taking a break for military service. And this was a requirement despite World War II had ended, but you were still required to show up for military service. Um, Anti-clericalism was high in France at this time, and he was initially rebuffed by his fellow conscripts. You know, yeah, it's a seminarian. Mm -hmm. But in the end, uh, once again, they warmed to him because, well, he saw them as individuals and it was his personable self. And so they respected the man, even if they didn't necessarily respect his religion. Yeah, love can do a lot of things, right? <laughs> yes, and again, seeds planted. So who knows where they ended up despite their initial um, discomfort with having a seminarian with them. All right. Yeah, good point. So before he was a Carmelite, Lucien was ordained a diocesan priest. And as a diocesan priest, he was assigned to teach in a boys' school. Okay. He enjoyed the work of a diocesan priest, embracing the long hours of service to the people. But at the same time, he couldn't deny that he felt a call to the cloistered monastic life. You know, it's, um, it's funny. Yeah. There's many who can't deny that they have that deeper call. Yes. Uh, and you, you heard the, the call of Mother Maravillas uh, in the previous, in this series, where she had a special call. She just can't deny it. You just have to fulfill it. It's not what you would have planned for your life, but it's God's plan. And so you want to do God's will. And so here he's, he's full, feeling that tug. And, and, you know, maybe some of the people who are listening are feeling a tug to, to some uh, form of religious life or a, a secular uh, community of some type. Um, so, you know, we've got to pay attention to that. And prayer will help you discern that, won't it? Yes. Um, yeah, he was attracted by the Trappist way of life. 
um, as well as to certain elements of both the Franciscan and Dominican charisms. But interestingly enough, his first introduction to Carmel came through the writings of the Carmelites, notably the newly canonized Therese of Lisieux. Uh, and I should say, and fellow French citizen, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and then he came to know Carmel better when he was serving mass for a local Carmelite convent. So yes, he's teaching school. He's got his um, diocesan duties and he's also helping out by um, saying mass at a local Carmelite convent. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it was spending time in their chapel that stirred his desire to become a Carmelite. So it was upon acceptance into the order that he became Père Jacques of Jesus. And that's how I'm going to refer to him throughout the rest of this conversation. All right. So uh, I have to point out this, you know, here he's serving mass for the Carmelites. It reminds me of the story of St. John of the Cross. Mm -hmm. He was headed to one place to do mass and he ended up with St. Teresa of Jesus. And, and then that whole thing happened where she convinced him to uh, become a discast Carmelite, uh, actually to come and work with her and found uh, new monasteries uh, uh, for the friars. And so uh, again, it's, it's time in um, mass uh, that really changed the trajectory of their paths um, for our benefit. Right. Yeah, because I love that, too. The fact that they, they were on the road that they thought, like, oh, Trappist, because wait, what was it that was it? Um, Thomas Merton. Famous yeah, no, I was thinking St. John of the Cross. What was it that he originally thought he was? The Tertian. Yes. Uh, yes. The Cistercians, yeah. right. That's right. But you're right. Prayer, time and mass. And he had a different calling. And that's how he found it. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to be there. <laughs> Go where you're being sent, right? Exactly. Even if you get lost, that's okay, because that's in God's plan too. <laughs> it is. So what's lovely is that the struggle that Père Jacques felt between his yearning for the monastic life, yet still the desire to serve the many spiritual needs of the people, it was really well reconciled in Carmel. He had the prayer routines of Carmel, which fulfilled his soul's longings. And then he had the apostolic work that his superiors had in store for him, kept him serving others. Because, yeah, he did not know what they had in store for him, but here is what it was. They knew his history and what he'd been doing his whole life. So at the same time that he's becoming a Carmelite, the Carmelite friars are reestablishing themselves in France after having been banished during an earlier era of anti-clerical laws. So the Carmelite Paris province wanted to establish a high school for boys. Um, they, they were looking at models from um other orders in places like Italy and Perjoc's superiors knew of his experience of teaching as a diocesan priest and therefore chose him as head of their new school you know it's interesting you know the the part that the church the catholic church plays in education and yes. spreading education throughout the whole world um if we didn't have that just just think where we would be. I mean, uh, they they really worked at it, and uh, so many um, places are known for their their schools established by um, the religious. So, okay, so he he is now picked to be headmaster, right? <laughs> um, he had a clear vision for this new school. It departed a bit from what his superiors kind of wanted to do based on what other orders were doing in other countries. Um, he wanted a solid Catholic formation 
as well as instruction that would prepare the boys for university and professional study. I think that the Carmelites were looking more as something that was strictly a seminary, but he wanted to broaden it a little bit more than that. So if any of the students felt drawn to religious life, they were certainly receiving both a solid academic formation and a close association with the Carmelite tradition. Um, but if they were, you know, wanted to go into university because they were the future professors or lawyers or doctors, that would suit them well, you know, it, it would suit them as well. Right. Um, now, he did not believe in the harsh boarding school experience that was prevalent at the time, but he sought to create a true home away from home for the students. He was available to them for counseling. He was active in their sports. There are pictures that, you know, of him out on the the soccer pitch with the boys. Um, he was also big on bringing them into the outdoors. Um, he, an education at this school was truly one for the mind, the body, and the soul. Um, I was thinking that a topic for another day would be St. Teresa Benedictus' ideas about schooling and curriculum. And um, I was reflecting on how, well, both of those, Parashak and St. Teresa Benedicta were martyred during World War II. But I wonder what would the face of Catholic education in Europe have been like if these two had been able to get together and revolutionize the whole thing? <laughs> right. Good point. But luckily, I yeah. mean, they'll have their influence. We've got their words. We can still do it, right? Well, I, I'm going to mark that down, uh, Colleen, as another possible topic that you and I can have another Carmelite conversation. I know we'll we'll have a good time with that one too. So thank you for that. Uh, good plan. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so at the outbreak of World War II, Père Jacques was once again conscripted into the French army. However, once Germany occupied France, he was released from this military service and able to return to his school. And it was at this time, and because, you know, inspiration from what was going on in the world, that he became an active member of the French resistance. Now, he absolutely confided in his superior about these plans because he he was a good Carmelite. He wasn't going to do this all on his own, but his superior told him, do what you must, come what may. And what does that say? Come what may. Right. Come yeah, what may. Lord, they, what do you got in store for me now? <laughs> those Carmelites knew exactly what they were doing, what they meant when they said come what may. Yeah. And that just makes it all the more beautiful, doesn't it? Yes, indeed. Um, so as a member of the resistance, he used his school to shelter Jewish people. He took on three boys as students of the school, and the father of one of those three, he was able to shelter um, uh, in a home in the village. Um, he, there was another boy that he employed as a worker at a school, and he also took in a Jewish botanist who, was a, who became a teacher on his staff. Now, I wanted to throw in a quote here. Um, when Père Jacques was asked why he disobeyed against the laws, uh, against sheltering Jews, because you weren't supposed to do that, mm -hmm. um, Père Jacques answered, I know of only one law, that of the Gospels and of love. Wow, spoken like a true Carmelite, right? Yes, <laughs> yes it is. And he was right, wasn't he? Yes. Um, unfortunately, January of 1944, so, you know, we're almost towards the end of the war here, you know, this is just a few months before D-Day, a year before the camps are all liberated, but um, the Gestapo raided the school, acting on a tip. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Père Jacques and the Jewish students and teacher were arrested. Those The Jews were sent to Auschwitz where they were executed pretty much straight away. Père Jacques, however, was imprisoned in various camps before ending up in Mauthausen in Austria. Now, in prison, as in every other place that he had served, I was going to say starting as a diocesan priest, but even before that, because, you know, as a seminarian, he was already serving people. Um, The foundation of his spiritual life was contemplative prayer. Um, As described by Francis Murphy, author of Père Jacques Resplendent in Victory, and this is a quote from his book, Père Jacques had mastered the art of contemplative prayer in an environment where he was shut off from both the sacramental life of the church and the beauty of nature. He could fruitfully undertake the Lord's work wherever there was need for compassion and relief of suffering. You know, he has a quote on, on the, one of the official websites for him, and it's on prayer. And this is what he says. Our life must be a constant, silent prayer that rises unceasingly to God. That's what constitutes our duty in life. So he, he lived this well, how, how important and essential, as you have pointed out. Uh, one of the essential points is uh, prayer is as essential as the air we breathe and the water we drink. Mm. Right. So, you know, of course, life in the camps was awful beyond comprehension. Still, Père Jacques continued as a shepherd of souls. He volunteered to work in the camp infirmary, cleaning the building by day and bathing the sick by night. He deliberately ate only half of his admittedly paltry ration of food so that the sickest patients were still able to have something. And what I love is many other prisoners spontaneously imitated example. They too shared their small, meager little rations with others just because they watched him do it. Yeah, so he was a little mustard seed and it multiplied. How beautiful. And how important uh, that, you know, that 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 example, it it wasn't his preaching, it was his example that helped them to um, love. So it's like where there's no love, put love and you will find love, St. John of the Cross. I just love that quote of St. John of the Cross. Um, You know, when you're starving and you're in these dire conditions in these concentration camps, um, it it takes a, a, a great effort to um deny yourself to help others and here not only did Perizak do it but all of those who imitated him did so the power of the graces that were flowing through Perizak onto these other prisoners to help each other and see each other as as human and uh as a child of god how beautiful Yeah, just, and as we were talking about earlier, just as he had always been able to relate to working class and the bourgeois alike, to religious and to communists, to the students, to their parents, he was able to build community in the concentration camps of the Nazis. Mm -hmm. There's a story of a prison guard. He was a Catholic Austrian recruit. So, you know, he, he was just a recruit. He was Catholic, he was Austrian, but there he was, found himself working as a prison guard. He became friendly with Père Jacques and his cellmates. When this man received word that his son had been killed on the Russian front, Père Jacques celebrated mass for the son in the prison cell where 
Catholics and communists, French and Germans joined together in a prayerful union that it, it transcended all their divisions. Perjac had this gift of being able to foster a genuine fellowship amongst his fellow captives and even the prison guard. He was a padre, a father, gathering the family, right? He absolutely was. So in the last day of his, of his life, he shared this with the priest who was ministering to him. We must be happy to do the will of God right up to the end and to give up our life if asked, for perhaps that is our calling. Um, now, this next part that I'm about to share will be familiar to those who heard our first conversation um, in first this series. The series. Yeah. yeah, in the first of the series, because we, I shared these quotes, too. Um, when Perjac was conscripted into the army at the beginning of World War II, he published a newspaper for his fellow soldiers. In one issue, written in 1940, he addressed the topic of how one should live during war. He said... The art of living war has two principles. So again, art of living war, okay? Two principles, live the war humanly and so live it as to become more human. Well, we could so, ponder that a long time because really? we're, all, we're all in war. We may right. not be in physical war, but we all have spiritual warfare, don't we? We are. And so, yes, because... Um, <laughs> yeah, we do need to ponder this and see how we li are living in conflict today. Um, because among other things, what he told the men to do was to radiate intellectual curiosity and also to radiate the outlook of the lover of beauty. Now, why is that? What's the connection of, of this lover of beauty and intellectual curiosity? We to are... Me, to me, I, I, oh, go, to, no, go ahead. He's directed to God, right? Yes, that, you know, that, that here we saw our God is still going to feed us intellectually. He feeds us um, that you can find beauty in the most adverse situations. You know, that, that he turned the infirmary into a beautiful place. Um, so, you know, he, he, entered, he was out, he, you know, at one point he was out enjoying nature with his students and he didn't lose that sense of, of wonder and what beauty in the world could be, even when he was in the camps. Um, and I, I love the fact that we know that from the witness of camp survivors, that he lived this philosophy still while he was in prison. He wrote it, yes, from the you know, relative safety of 1940, but here it is at the end, we, we know from people who witnessed his life then that he was still living it even at the end of the war. And beauty is an attribute of God. So when things, um, when you see something beautiful, it lifts your spirits. It, it brings joy, it brings happiness, it brings goodness. So um, we should it's, all it's be pointing us to the one who created it, right? Yeah, we should all really work at trying to appreciate the beauty around us, beauty which we can see, but also beauty in the spirit, um, like the love that Pere Jacques poured out to his fellow uh, captives in that uh, terrible concentration camp. Mm. Right. Um, he, yeah, it, yeah, he, he even said, he said more, he shared that his belief that if you have nothing else, you can listen to the songs of the wind and contemplate the light of day. 
Um, another way to live the war humanly, according to Père Jacques, was to know that it is useless to worry and to be sad. Sadness does not change a situation except to increase its pain. Simply take each day as it comes with its own share of sadness and joy. Do not try to guess what tomorrow will bring and do not fall into fear. That's spiritual equanimity and serenity. Uh, trusting that God is going to provide and he's going to be with you. Um, it's not that he was there in the past. He's going to be in the future, but he's always present in every moment. So I, I, I just love this sense of serenity and trusting in uh, God that, that he's with you at all times in every moment. And that's why we shouldn't worry. That's why we shouldn't be sad. I thought that that was very uh, potent. Uh, sadness does not change a situation except to increase its pain. Wow. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> that made me stop and think about that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, thank you for bringing that quote uh, into our um, awareness. Right. Um, yeah, it's, I think we're, we're very blessed that we have evidence that he maintained this philosophy despite the turn his life took. Um, fellow prisoner said of him, he never once bowed to the will of the Nazis. And I thought, despite their exterior oppression, he didn't waver from living the war humanly. This was his, his way of being an unapologetic Catholic throughout it. You know, you can do whatever the heck you want to me, um, but you can't take this away from me. This is what's still inside me. And I am going to put God first. I'm going to still be praying through this whole thing. And as, as you know, springing from that is living the faith unapologetically. Yeah, and to live more humanly, I think it is to to understand it in the sense of of, of good humanity. Mm, yes, uh, a holy yeah. humanity. What we were meant to be all yeah. along, and because sin tears away, and and actually sin covers the soul and darkens it, so that you can't see, so that you make more mistakes, so you make more poor choices, and uh, so having that pure soul. Uh, helps us to be the human, the child of God that we were created to be in his image and likeness. Yes, beautiful. Um, Perzak did survive the camp, but um, when American troops liberated Mauthausen, Father, was he was already showing signs of pneumonia. He had a persistent fever over 100. He weighed only 75 pounds. Uh. Um, but still working. <laughs> Père Jacques was the head of the Franco-Belgian camp contingent, so it fell to him to work with the international committee who had arrived at the camp, and he did this until he could literally stand no longer. That is what finally stopped him. He could no longer stand. Mm. Um, he was diagnosed with tuberculosis without hope of recovery. He spent his last days first in the infirmary, infirmary um, where he was ministered by two French priests who had arrived um, and two nurses. And then um, he was transferred to a hospital in a nearby town where he ended up dying June 2nd, 1945. He suffered much physically at the end of his life, but he was at peace spiritually. The priest who was present at the time of death wrote, Père Jacques died very quietly, without a gesture, without a cry, without a lament, his patience was unwavering. He was a worthy son of St. John of the Cross. Indeed. 
you know, um, so Perry Jacques' life wasn't ordinary, but you know, like like the prisoners, he'd come to terms to living in the environment of evil which he was placed in. <clears throat> the temptation to despair, which any person might have, uh, and to let the brutality overwhelm them, uh, he rejected that, and he, um, in heroic virtue, um, let God's graces and blessings guide him in um, staying true to the faith. So in, in the face of great opposition, uh, he lived the faith unapologetically, right? Yes, he did. So, all right. Well, I think that uh, concludes our uh, conversation on um, Perry Jacques of Jesus today uh, on this topic on uh, facing opposition, courage in the face of opposition. He's a great example. There's a lot of Frenchmen in this. <laughs> there are, aren't there? <laughs> right. Well, see, it, it goes to show that oppression did never, did not keep these, it doesn't have to keep you down, does it? Right. And in the midst of this horrendous situation in France, the fruit of it was all these saints, all these saintly yeah. people. And I, I hope and pray that Père Jacques becomes a saint too. We do have for our closing prayer today, um, the beatific the prayer for beatification. Let me say that again. Prayer for beatification of Père Jacques of Jesus. So um, I would like to um, use that to close out our Carmelite conversation today. And I, I thank you again, Colleen, for joining me. I, I just thoroughly enjoy having these conversations with you and learning about these and how this is so important, how we can apply what we're learning to our lives, to our situations today. Um, so, you know, my spiritual challenge would be, you know, do not fear because, and do not be sad because sadness just multiplies your misery, but trust the Lord and live the faith un unapologetically. And you can do that by, by praying and keeping God first in our lives. So, all right, let's get recollected as St. Teresa of Avila teaches us to go within and be with God as we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father of infinite goodness, you gave Perajac of Jesus from childhood on the desire to love you and to love all people with an undivided heart. You lavished him with talent for the education of young people. You chose him to become a priest. You called him to enter the order of Carmel. Among the inhuman horrors of the concentration camps, you made him a fervent witness of faith and love until the perfect offering of his life. Grant us the graces which we ask of you by his intercession. And if it is your will, glorify him in your church through your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you again, Colleen. I look forward to uh, our future conversations. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Um, and if you have some questions or you'd like to make some suggestions for future programs, um, on our website, which is carmeliteconversations.com, you can uh, see where there's an email address. You can address us so that we can hear from you. And there is a Carmelite Conversations Facebook page. 
um, it doesn't get very in depth, but it has some uh, wonderful nuggets uh, to help uh, uh, help us in our zeal for God and for souls. So thank you again for joining us. This is Francis Harry signing off. God bless you. <laughs>